When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. We are live here on the MMA Industry Podcast, December 21st edition, 2017. I'm happy today to be joined by a guy that I've known for quite some time, and uh, he does some really great work, and that's why I wanted to get him on here to talk about all the work he's been doing, and that is uh, Nick Baldwin of BloodyElbow.com, but he's not just a, a journalist for Bloody Elbow. He also has a couple podcasts here, the MMA Circus, Before the Battle, and Beyond Combat. Nick, how are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you very much for having me. I've, uh, you know, the show is pretty new. You only started it a few months ago, but I've seen every episode. Big fan. I think uh, what you're doing is great and uh, it's great to be here. I'm looking forward to this. Awesome. Well, I appreciate all the kind words, the checks in the mail. But uh, I, I, you know, when I when I started this podcast, I really wanted to avoid not getting all my, you know, people that I know that I've known for a while on the show initially. But I just honestly, and, and you know, I talked about this, I think last week on the show as well, you know, I was really impressed with your coverage last week at UFC Winnipeg, especially with the fact that uh, you didn't have any credentials. And, and you know, we'll, we'll talk all about uh, that coverage uh, in just a second. But I always start the show off the same way I always do, which is uh, I want to talk about uh, the first time we met. And I'm sure you'll remember this because we've only met twice in person. Um, but uh, it was actually the last time that Todd Duffy ever fought. It was a UFC <laughs> fight night, 71, uh, July yeah. 2015. You were just in town, I believe, with your family. And it was you, me, and Paolo uh, who were watching the card. And, uh, yeah, that was the first time I met you. And, uh, you know, for those who can't tell, Nick's a lot younger than me. So it was a little weird trying to tell my wife that I was going to watch fights with uh, – I don't know how old you would have been at, at the time. At the time, I had just turned 15, literally right, like two exactly. weeks before. So, it's a little weird, but, uh, you know, Nick and I have the, you know, the love of combat sports in common. So we, uh, you know, got to watch that card and that was a, a pretty good card uh, in, in itself. So that was the first time we met. And I'm, I'm still think to this day, uh, you got to correct me on this. Am I the only person who's met you and Andrew, the clown kid Lawrence? I believe that's the case. I think so. And, and that's a damn good accomplishment. Not going to lie. <laughs> it is. So I've covered both halves of the, the MMA circus, which is uh, pretty cool. But uh, the thing, real, real quick, just the, with oh, the Mir Duffy card, uh, me being so young, remember I had to leave early. I do. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, because it was getting late. And uh, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, and you, it you was past my bedtime by a little bit. 
Yes, just a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, it was great to meet you. And obviously, uh, you know, a lot has changed since then. But uh, one of the one of the things that I love doing about this, uh, you know, what I love about this podcast is that, uh, you know, I've known you for a long time. I don't know the backstory. I don't know, you know, too much about how you got into it. So that's sort of where we're going to start. What was the sort of the first thing that sort of piqued your interest in terms of mixed martial arts and, and you know, made you want to made you fall in love with the sport? As far as a fight, it was definitely Brock Lesnar versus Alistair Overeem. That was okay. the first fight I remember watching. I'm sure I've seen more because my dad, and you've heard this story that, you know, with my dad, he's watched every, you know, he's watched UFC basically since UFC won. I think he watched the card live. He's been a fan since the very beginning. And so just me growing up in his house and seeing him watching MMA once in, you know, every now and then, now it's a lot more often than say 15 years ago, but eventually I had to start watching. I didn't have to, but I mean, he's watching, so I'm not going to just go, you know, hide in another room during, you know, all, all these cards. Eventually, I'm going to start watching, and so that's what happened. Um, I remember seeing Lesnar over him. I, I was really intrigued by, you know, over him's first round finish. Um, I liked Alistair over him, still do, and uh, I didn't become a hardcore fan right after the fight. I didn't get hooked right after that fight, but that is the fight I remember first seeing. It wasn't probably for another two and a half years until I got really hooked um, early 2014. I can't really put a fight on it, but that's why I always go back to Lesnar Overing when people ask me about this, because that's the fight I remember watching first. I'm sure I've seen others before that, but that's what I remember seeing. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was really interesting. And I guess I let myself get a little older and then I started watching more often. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you know, little side note, uh, I actually watched that Overeem and Lesnar fight at that same Boston pizza that we went to uh, we watched, when we watched the fight. So everything's sort of coming a full circle here on the MMA industry podcast. Um, but as far as, you know, wanting to start writing about it now, was it, I, now correct me if I'm wrong, was it first started with uh, UFC Junior? That was the original yeah. website, was it not? <laughs> Yeah, you got to tell this story, Nick, because it's so funny what happened with that. Uh, so, uh, you know, Nick's starting his own website, which, by the way, great idea if you're starting out is to start your own website because, again, you own all the content. You know, you can kind of have a portfolio of all your stuff. So you start UFC Junior, but even before it gets, uh, you know, lifted off, uh, you, you had uh, something happen. What do you talk about that? Well, I mean, it was lifted, lifted off a little bit. I think we probably survived a month or two. Okay. And then, so I guess I didn't know at the time. And keep in mind, I'm 13 as this yeah. is all going on. Right. And I'm 13 years old and I'm a week away from receiving a season desist letter from Zufa, who at the time, <laughs> of course, uh, owns the UFC. Apparently, I couldn't have the letters together back to back, U, F, and C, in a domain, in the WW. For anyone that doesn't know, that's the www.blank.com. I, I had the domain, ufcjr.com, and apparently, because of all their copyright stuff, I couldn't. Yeah. Got a season desist from Zufa. And they're basically saying, you need to change this immediately or else, you know, you'll get sued, I guess. Um, apparently, I, I never mentioned this too much, but apparently I had some images that I stole as well on there. And that, okay. that that's a bit more fair, I guess. I mean, it's all fair, but I think the main part was the domain. And uh, so I didn't see the email for probably a week or two. It might have, you know, gone into my junk mail or whatever. And then I think normally when people would receive a season desist from such a big company like Zufa, they'd probably right away like get scared and change it and apologize. But no, me being 13, I responded saying, hey, I'm just a 13-year-old kid. I don't make money. I probably never will. I just do this for fun. Can we like can, – can you just like excuse me with this? Can I keep using it? Is that okay? So I send them the email, wait another two weeks, don't get a response, and I figure, okay, maybe I should change it. So eventually I did. 
um, uh, changed the name to MMAJR.co. The, the, the annoying part with that is that I didn't get the .com, and so um, that, that was just a little frustrating because .co, everybody made the typo. Yeah. Um, but uh, had to change it. It, it went well. Um, but that was that was an interesting experience getting a season assist from Zufa. Yeah, I think a lot of people uh, who would get that would probably be freaked out. But you're just like, hey, look, I'm not making any money. Let, can we work together here? Here you are at 13 trying to negotiate with uh, Zufa, which is exactly. uh, which is hilarious. So uh, <laughs> Zufa takes no prisoners. Doesn't matter how old you are, they will uh, yeah. they will go after you. Um, and then I know, so you started MMA Junior, and I know you linked up with uh, with John King, and I want to bring him up a little bit here just because uh, he's doing some great work on the UK scene right now with uh, yeah. Sprawl. He does a lot of post-fight stuff. And uh, so, so it's kind of neat that both of you have sort of, uh, you know, started uh, at, at, you know, MMA Junior and then gone on to, to bigger and better things. So, so that's, was, it was just you and John starting out, and then was there anyone else on the staff at all, or how, how did it sort of evolve, uh, the, you know, MMA Junior? Well, I didn't know John when I first launched the website. He, okay. although it was very quickly after, like the website UFC Junior at the time was probably a thing for, I want to say 10 to 14 days. And then I get an email from this kid who's a year older than me named John King. He says, I've never written about MMA before. Can I? And at the time I'm like, yeah, of course. I, I actually don't know where the, where the original emails are. Don't know exactly how that conversation went, but my memory, if, if it serves me correctly, I would imagine I was very cool with it. And I mean, why wouldn't I be? Um, it, I was just starting out too. So he came on board right away. We just started doing different things. He did a lot of more live coverage um, because at the time I still, I know when we did predictions at the very beginning, I didn't even predict the prelim card. Because keep in mind, this is when I'm still becoming a hardcore fan. I don't, I didn't care tons about the prelims. I didn't know a lot of these prelim guys. Um, so he sort of helped out with that as well. But he came on right away and it was uh, good working with him just, you know, pretty much from the very beginning. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Now, what what sort of got you into actually wanting to, you know, cover the sport and write about the sport? Like, had you was that something that even before you got into MMA that that it interested you whether it was broadcasting or writing or anything like that? Like, was there was there maybe some like uh inf- like people that influenced you to do that? Was was there anything like that? I don't think there was any people that influenced me, but I've always liked writing, like even before uh, MMA. And funny story, I don't think I've ever told you this, and not many people know this. So this is this is gonna get a bit weird and a, a bit funny. No, that's so, fine. We we get we get all kinds of weird <laughs> here on the industry podcast. So go for especially it. Especially when you have a kid on. Um. So before I covered MMA, before UFC Junior, MMA Junior was a thing. I actually had a website. So I made my first website when I was nine years old. Okay. And it was about a online game for kids called club penguin okay have you ever heard of that i have not no i'm not not, not well versed in the club penguin thing (laughs) so it's some sort of virtual world it is actually a really fun game and i spent hours and hours and hours on it and there was this sort of thing going on on the internet it was very popular basically club penguin cheats and a lot of people a lot of kids um, and sometimes older kids, like it, it got weird. Like there, there were people in their twenties blogging about club penguin. That, that was really strange, but nonetheless, I started my own website, spent hours playing it, spent hours. I, I, I don't know if I can say covering it because it's a game, but it was kind of like it, like blogging about what's happening, what's going on in the game, different updates of the game, different things that are going on, et cetera, et cetera. And then I sort of just eventually almost converted club penguin to mixed martial arts. So my, you know, UFC Junior, MMA Junior wasn't even the first website I had. I had this one way back in 2009, September, I started it. 
and uh, did that for almost two years, I think. So that was, it, it was very weird looking back in hindsight, but man, uh, I spent a lot of time on that. That's yeah, that's interesting to see kind of that's that's where it started and, and that's that's where you ended up. But as far um, as writing, uh, I because I didn't do like, uh, you know, looking back on the, this website, like I, I was not a good writer. I was not like it wasn't tons of writing. It, a lot of people that I knew from this game went on to do a lot of graphic design, a lot of okay. uh, website building, things like that, where I sort of transitioned it all to the writing. But as far as at school goes, I've always liked writing more than most things. And so that sort of helped as well. So you're, you're working for, you know, you're doing your own thing with MMA Junior. You're going to school at the time, obviously, too. And, uh, you know, do you remember sort of the first inter- – because you had the MMA Junior radio as well, uh, yeah. which would later become the MMA Circus uh, for Bloody Elbow. But uh, do you remember sort of the first interview you did, um, you know, on that show? Because uh, I imagine that uh, radio show started shortly after uh, the website, did it not? It no well the website started in January 2014 uh, the podcast started in in April 2015 so oh, okay gotcha so it had been, been going on for a little bit but I actually I I remember some of the dumbest things I remember I can say in order I think the first 12 interviews I've done and okay. so I did I want to say about 10 interviews before the podcast started and so my first ever MMA interview was July 2014 and uh, interestingly it was a Winnipeg guy Roland Delorme. Oh, of course, yeah. Is one of the first, one of the only ever uh, UFC Winnipeg fighters, and so talked to him. And then the second was uh, Jake Ellenberger, actually. Okay. N- number three was Derek Brunson. Number four was Bruce Buffer, and so that was really cool. Uh, yeah, think a- about that for a second here. So, how old are you at the time? You're what, fourteen? Fourteen. Fourteen. And you're interviewing Bruce Buffer. That's yeah. yeah I mean, exactly. I've never even interview- interviewed uh, Bruce Buffer. So it was very nerve wracking. Okay. To, yeah. to say the least. Um, Brad Pickett was next, then Patrick Cote, then Elias Theodoro. And then it gets a little foggy. You know, Ray Borg was in there, Marcus Brimage. Oh, Jared Rochelle, I actually interviewed him the day before he was knocked out by Alexio Linick, funny enough. Okay. And uh, and Mish Clark, Sam Alvey. So those are the first, I want to say 12 or so. Um, but yeah, so Roland was the first. And interestingly, I don't know if this is connected. I never will. But two months before my first ever fighter interview with Roland, I actually interviewed for a school project, Chris Hadfield, who's a popular Canadian astronaut. You yep. might uh, uh, know Hadfield. And I set that up myself. It's not like the school did. So I don't know if it's connected, but what a what a weird co- coincidence that would be if I did my first ever interview with like a, a, a popular figure and then started talking to MMA fighters two months after. Yeah, I knew Hadfield really well because I used to work at Discovery Channel and they, they would like fawn over him because of all the work he did, you know, with, uh, you know, all the space stuff and everything. And I think it was like one of the when I worked there it was like one of the times when he was doing like another launch or something. I forget. But uh, yeah, he's uh, that that's cool. That's wow. So, I mean, I didn't I didn't realize that, uh, you know, you're interviewing some big wigs uh, early on. <laughs> how did you get how did you get your interviews initially? Like Roland's obviously from Winnipeg, so that, that's easy. But Jake Ellenberger, how did you go about getting an interview with him? I'm trying to think. I I don't know if I can go back and remember, but I he him and Mark Munoz had some deal with a phone company okay. where they would have like telephone numbers that maybe weren't their real numbers, but fan like I remember I want to say he might have had a tweet or something saying, "Hey, hit me up at this number." It's with I don't think it was Metro PCS. It might have been, and let's you know let's talk or whatever with just <laughs> with with random fans. And I might have called him, or I know I called Mark Munoz. And mm-hmm. I talked to Munoz and was super nervous, and it was really funny in hindsight. I'm trying to think I might have talked to Ellenberger too, if not. And if I did, I probably said, hey, 
you, do you want to do like an interview or whatever? And maybe that's what it was. I honestly can't tell you for sure though. Um, a lot but of that's them... creative in itself to even think to do that. Um, I mean, that, that's pretty remarkable. I'm, I'm not going to mention the journalists on here. You, you might know who I'm talking about if I tell you the story, but, uh, I know someone who recently interviewed Sage Northcutt and the way they interviewed him was they called his parents' business and got him <laughs> that way. Um, cause, cause it's, it's, it's all public, all the, all the information, like how many people right. have the last name Northcutt? So sure. they just looked it up and that's, that's how I ended up getting it. And I'm pretty sure this person's watching this and I'm not going to reveal your identity, but, uh, but that was very clever and a very uh, good way of, uh, going about doing that. So, uh, it just shows you the different ways you can go about uh, getting interviews. Cause I know sometimes it can be a little bit tough. Um, first event you covered, was it prestige FC? I, I'm trying to remember. Was it in person? Yeah, it was prestige FC. One, uh, yeah. as far as because the first live event I attended was UFC Saskatoon. That right. was when uh, Holloway and Oliveira fought Oliveira tore his esophagus or something. Um, and then the first event I covered, October 2015, Prestige FC won. And in the main event, oh, Mike Biggie Rhodes fought. Yeah. He, he fought uh, Taki Oluwala Kappa, something like that. Uh, Kurt so Southern was on the card as well. I think Charmaine Tweet. So that was the first one I covered. Yeah, rest in peace at Prestige FC, which was actually at the time. I mean, they had they had a lot of big, uh, you know, it, they, they had a lot of big uh, names on on a couple of those cards. So that was and pretty interesting. Happened afterwards. Yes, yes. Um, the uh, you mentioned the Saskatoon card. Um, one of the cool things. This was where I remember you first sort of doing anything video related, and you actually got an interview with Cody Garbrandt way before he was champ, uh, just because he was there. Now, who is he there for uh, on that card uh, for Saskatoon? I think he was just a guest fighter, like one. Oh, UFC. okay, gotcha. Yeah, because I remember that you you did the interview with them, and you were guys. You guys were like, a, it looked like you were at like a like a restaurant patio or something when you did you the were, interview. You were, I think it was actually around the hotel pool. Okay, gotcha. It was it's some sort of area. I think it was the pool. At least if there, I don't remember now. I need to look back in the video. If there's not a pool in the background, it looked like a pool area. Anyways, with like the the white, pretty classic pool chairs. But yeah. Well, I, I remember seeing the interviews because at that time, I think I was just starting to do my video, my Skype stuff, or maybe I'd been doing it for a little bit, but, uh, you know, I, I was sort of getting into it. So video content was something I was interested in a lot. And I, I'm trying to remember when you and I actually first connected on, on Twitter, it would have been early 2014, I, I think. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And I just remember, you know, obviously, when you follow someone, you sort of follow their work and see sort of what's what's happening and everything. And I remember seeing that Garbrandt interview. And I remember my first thought was, like, holy crap, like you did a great job because uh, it's first off, it's very nerve wracking to be on camera uh, for those who aren't used to doing it. You know, it's a lot of repetitions. Like even now I still, you know, there's times when I'm like, damn, I had an off one. I had an off one, you know, but it, it takes a lot to do. And, uh, you know, here you are interviewing Garbrandt who ends up being, you know, a UFC champion. So, uh, you know, at the time, were you nervous doing it? Like what was sort of going through your head when you're interviewing uh, Garbrandt, who at the time was still a rising uh, prospect? Well, at the yeah, I, I mean, definitely nervous. Um, I was more nervous when I interviewed Elias Diodoro, I think probably the day before, because that was my first in-person interview ever. So I talked to Elias. I think it was the second time talking to him, including my phone interview that went really terrible very early on. Um, but so I was more nervous for that one just because I had never done the on-camera thing before. Uh, besides, I guess at the time I'd already started doing Before the Battle, which has always been a video show. But it's a lot different doing hangouts like we are right now and talking to a UFC fighter in person. But, um, yeah, I, I remember uh, he was on his way to do a training session. And then I had I kept, you know, annoying him on, on Twitter DMs. And he eventually just came down and gave me a few minutes. But it was nice. Um I'm just looking, and it was right by the pool. You can see it on the very corner of the of the video. Um, but yeah, I mean, nervous. I would say, yeah, for sure. Um, but in hindsight, it's really cool 
having interviewed so early on a former or a, at the time a future champion although unfortunately i have yet to talk to garbrandt since that interview <laughs> right yeah no i know it's a little bit more difficult once someone becomes a, a you know ufc champion uh so then you know you so you started mma junior and then i know you uh worked at mma sucker which i'm not mistaken you you started at sucker before bloody elbow right correct yes i started yes. at sucker july 2014 yeah, which is interesting because a lot of, uh, you know, there's a few journalists that have gone through MMA Saka, Mike Bond being a notable one. I know he started there. Mike Mike had his own website, and then I know he briefly worked at MMA Saka and then uh, went on to, uh, you know, obviously MMA Mania and then MMA Junkie. And uh, for you, you know, working at Saka. So it's kind of a good spot. Like I always, when people ask me, you know, I want to get into MMA, I want to start out. I mean, there's two websites I will direct them to. MMA Saka is one because, you know, they're really good about getting people kind of, uh, you know, a decent platform. And then also, you know, as far as mentoring them and stuff, they're pretty good. And then MMA Today which is a newer website, but it seems like uh, they're really good at, they, they, I mean, a lot of their staff are newer writers and uh, people just looking to sort of make a name for themselves. So I, I kind of point them to those two because, you know, the, the point of this podcast is to be informative and I think that's a sort of a noteworthy. So you end up working for MMA Saka. Um, you know, what was that like at the time? What was it like working with Jeremy? I've never worked for MMA Saka, so I wouldn't know. It was good. It was good. Um, I, you know, since then I've become very good, uh, close with Jeremy. I, we've still yet to meet in person, but just over Facebook communication and Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, we're close and it, it's good. Um, they, you know, they, their staff chat is very cool, very relaxed, and it, it's a good atmosphere. I mean, suck as you said, I would definitely recommend it, especially if you're Canadian. If not, uh, obviously no big deal. Um, but, uh, but yeah, MMA suck was good. I worked for them for a, about a year and a half. I, I when I went on with Bloody Elbow in November of 2015, I couldn't really. It just didn't make sense to really continue. I know I did a little bit here and there, but uh, you know, I'm still in school and, and sorting the time. It just didn't make too much sense. But yeah, if you're starting out, if you're, they don't pay too much. I know when I worked for them, I didn't get paid anything, but now they actually do have a bit of a a pay scale in a way. Um, depending on sort of on, I guess it's based on your, your traffic, but, but yeah, MMA is like a good to work for. I would definitely recommend it if you're looking to break in the MMA uh, industry. So you referenced Bloody Elbow. How did that all come together? Because I remember at the time, uh, you know, it was, it was a big deal because I, I believe, I mean, I don't know if this is like making history, but you must have been one of the youngest guys to ever work for them because Bloody Elbow is an SB Nation property. And, you know, it's a pretty big deal to, to work for a site like that. Take me through how that sort of happened with you working for them and, you know, being there like you've been since then. Youngest guy other than Mookie Alexander, who I, yeah, I don't know. Enough, you know we we always make jokes about him. Yeah, the, the Tim B thing too. Yeah, with him being old. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I guess so, I'd have to be part of that crew to really yeah, find yeah. humor in it. But uh, exactly, yeah, definitely. Um, so I got on with Bloody Elbow. I remember in September, I want to say, so about a month and a half before I officially started working for them, November first, twenty fifteen. I hit up uh, Zane Simon on Twitter. And I just sent him a DM. I think I asked him to follow me first because he didn't. Then sent him a DM saying. Do you know if Bloody Elbow is looking for anybody? If so, who can I contact? And he said, uh, he, he basically just gave me Kid Nate's uh, email. Nate Wilcox, who of course is uh, the editor-in-chief at Bloody Elbow, my boss. And he gave me his email, sent uh, Nate an email just saying, I mean, yeah, I'm young, but maybe, you know, do you want to give me a chance? Here's some of my work. Just sort of asked him if if they're looking for anybody. If so, how do I, what's the application process? And just get back to me, please. And that was that pretty much. And he did, he got back to me. He said, um, so I, he, how they worked it was I had to do probably about two weeks worth of fan posts. So they, they're very community oriented where you, you and a fan, anybody can go on bloody elbow and, 
uh, write a fan post, meaning you can write anything you want on there. It's not restricted. It's not edited or anything, and it won't show up on the homepage, but there's a section uh, of all fan posts, and it'll show up there, of course. And so I basically just did regular news posts uh, as a fan post. So uh, it was sort of a trial period, and I think the way they worked it was actually really good because they're sort of seeing, okay, are you good enough of a writer if this was on the homepage? It can't, should it be? Uh, you know, is it good enough? And so that that's the way they worked it. And after about two weeks, Nate said, you know, he liked what I did. He liked all, you know, the drive. And uh, that, you know, I wish there was more to the story, but it was pretty simple. Just sort of send him an email, do this trial period. And that was that. But, you know, it was great coming on uh, with Bloody Elbow. So since being at Bloody Elbow, who have been some of your mentors? Who are some people that you sort of check in with routinely to kind of, you know, get advice or, or things of that nature? I think all the editors, and, and you know, pretty much equally, I think one that would stand out would be your good friend Kareem Zidane, who obviously one of the best journalists in the game, if not the best. He uh, does a ton of great stuff about stuff that actually matters, not Conor McGregor, you know, having yeah, exactly, a baby and, exactly. and whatever else. Yeah, um, covering Ramzan Kadyrov actually does matter in this in this world, not just in MMA. But Kareem helped me a lot. Uh, he's been a, he's been very busy from what I know as of late. So he hasn't helped me a ton specifically over the past few months, but last year, especially he did a lot as far as just my writing. I know one thing that really stood out, I would always use too many quotes. Like my quotes would be way too long for interviews. And he basically, I remember there was one time and this is nothing against cream whatsoever, but um, I remember I, I submitted an article and he, he basically chopped in in half. And I was so confused at the time, but obviously it makes sense now. So he definitely, he definitely uh, helped me there, um, just honing my writing skills. And everybody, I mean, all the editors, um, you know, will give advice and they edit your stuff. And it, it's all good. Um, you have to pick one guy. It's definitely Kareem, but, though uh, he, he's helped me out quite a bit. That's great to hear. Um, now, have, has there ever been a point throughout, you know, you being at Bloody Elbow? Because I know, obviously, you know, at MMA Junior, it was your own thing, whatever. But did you ever feel like you were discriminated against because of your age? Or did you ever feel like your age was ever something that people kept bringing up or anything like that? Because I could only imagine, like, it's one thing for, you know, myself, because, I mean, I, I got into this in, uh, you know, I guess my mid-20s, uh, you know, early 20s when I was at Fight Network. But uh, it's, uh, it, you know, I could only imagine, you know, being younger. Do you, do you get any sort of flack from that? Or is it not even an issue at all? Are you, are you meaning as far as from the fans go from the fans maybe from you know I, I don't know i doubt your peers would say anything but uh no, you know I, but that's all good <laughs> yeah yeah they probably yeah just give you a hard time but what about like you know yeah fans and stuff because you know fans are i mean there's a lot of idiots i i get it all the time too and it's just you know i can only imagine for someone young like yourself do you, do you get anything like that i don't get as much as you would think i mean i think if you didn't know me well or just anyone in general they would think oh this guy probably gets so much hate and i really don't and i don't i mean if even if i did i mean you have to have thick skin no matter if you're 13 or 50 or 30 um working mma and there there's a lot of people that are idiots as you said but you know i i would expect more just because like why if you're a quote keyboard warrior why wouldn't you try and make fun of this kid who's you know, and give him a hard time for being super young, but really I, I don't. And um, it, it's nice. It's not nice. You know, it, it doesn't really matter, but I think the most would be I've done, you know, bloody elbow does a post fight show for UFC cards called the sixth round. And I've done it three times. And you might remember I, I did the the first time I did uh, it with Mikey Hutchinson. Oh, who, I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that Yeah, <laughs> for the UFC Seoul South Korea card. And because of course, Zane and Kid Nate aren't going to want to do this podcast because the card ended at like 11 a.m. Uh, Eastern or Central time. And so Mikey and I watched the card overnight, which started like probably 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and then we watched it all. And then I think he might have gotten a little bit of sleep. I don't know. I got no sleep. 
And so I'm dead tired doing this show, doing my, you know, the first thing, you know, time on six round biggest audience I've ever had as far as doing a podcast podcast goes. And it was bad. Like me looking back in hindsight, yeah, it was a terrible podcast, but man, did I get a lot of flack. Uh, Mike did quite a bit as well, but uh, that was, that was, that was funny that, you know, in hindsight, it's good to have those experiences that when, when a podcast goes wrong, you can look back on it and not just have laugh, but also see sort of what you did wrong. But that's probably the most time I've got uh, flack, but in general, not that much once in a while, you know, they'll make fun of me for being young, but it's not that bad. Well, and the other thing is, too, I mean, you're getting really good interviews. I remember when you were at MMA Junior, you got an interview with Rafael Dos Anjos when he was champion. Um, yeah. I can only imagine, you know, because you're going to encounter people who are jealous no matter what. And I'm sure there's people seeing that being like, how did he get him or whatever? Like, I, you know, I, I still get it, too, where I get people, you know, talking about people think I work for free. People think like all this, like it's crazy, you know, like I'm, you know, do this full time. And it's, uh, you know, people thinking that, uh, you know, I'm not I'm, I'm not getting paid to do this. So it's, it's kind of crazy. Some of the stuff you get. Um, so that's good. I mean, I'm glad you've sort of, you know, kind of gotten through that. What, what have been some of the challenges uh, with covering the sport in your opinion? Um, you know, it can be anything from, you know, maybe, you know, stuff at home or, or, you know, just maybe having difficulty, you know, booking interviews. Like what, has there been sort of anything that sort of stood out to you? It's an interesting question. Like, you know, I, so many people in MMA go through challenges just from the idea that it's a tough gig to get into. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the biggest challenge going forward will certainly be, making this from going from a part-time thing, which is what it is now. Like I'm making enough money covering MMA and doing interviews where I don't need to go work at McDonald's like all of my friends. But so that's nice. But the biggest challenge will be even including any challenges I've already had will be making this a full-time thing like you yourself have done very recently. So that's going to be the biggest challenge. As far as challenges that I've already gone through, there just hasn't been that money or that many. I've been lucky as far as the interviews I've been able to get um don't get i mean obviously you're gonna send an email to a manager and you won't get a response here and then but for a lot of time and and you've gone through that yourself i'm sure but a lot of you know the time i do get a response and it's nice but yeah and i guess i can't really say because i'm so young because you know as we just talked about haven't gotten much bad feedback as far as that goes really i've been lucky I'm, i'm gonna admit i've been lucky um it 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 wasn't that difficult getting on with bloody elbow i didn't work for free. I worked for free for like a year and a half. That, that's mm-hmm. nothing compared to some people that work for free. And so I've been lucky. I haven't had too many challenges. Maybe I need more. <laughs> what about your social life? Because, you know, uh, I remember going to high school and uh, I, you know, I, I was a sports fan. I mean, I'd watch sports, but like I, there was, there was nothing media wise on my radar. Granted, you know, the times were a little bit different, but uh, you know, I was trying to you know, play sports and go to school and do my homework and trying to meet girls and all that stuff. Like, how's that been for you? Because MMA is one of those sports that consumes you sometimes, especially on social media. Well, if I'm being honest, I'm not a guy that, you know, on a Saturday night will go get drunk at a high school party, if I'm being totally honest. And so, I mean, some people do that. That's fine. But they don't also make money covering a sport they love to watch. Um, So, I mean, it's been okay. Like, do I have the biggest social life ever? No, of course not. But um, it, you know, I'm not, I don't have an issue with that because I don't, as I said, I don't need to go get drunk every weekend, um, as a 17 year old kid. And so it's been okay. Um, yeah, as far as balancing school, I mean, last year was, it was getting tough. Definitely in grade 11, but grade 12, I have a very easy schedule, especially this semester. So it's actually been really nice the the, the past few months. Um, but 
I think the the biggest thing is that I'm able to write kind of whenever I want. Like obviously nice. I can't yeah. do an interview at say 3 a.m. But if I want to, you know, do something with a friend or, or go out or whatever on a, on a Friday evening and then write say at 2 a.m. or 1 a.m. or whatever, I can. So it's like I don't need to write during peak times. I can write whenever I want. If I wasn't doing this show because I was spare, I could have been writing, you know, a couple hours ago in between classes. So that's that's the big, that's one of the nicest things. I at Bloody Elbow specifically, you have a lot of freedom to do what you want and to do it when you want. And so, balancing other things in, in the outside world hasn't been as tough as it might seem. And as far as the content you do for Bloody Elbow, it's mainly just interviews now. Or do you do? I mean, I see you do the odd news post here and there, but is there like is the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. They're like set days where you have to do content. Like how's, how does your schedule look for Bloody Elbow for those who might be wondering? Well, I mean, again, as I said, a lot of freedom. I do a lot more news posts than I think you might see or realize. Um, I do more news posts than interviews. Um, you know, just because, I mean, I'm not going to exactly get into why, but I do, I do definitely a number of interviews. Like I do a lot of interviews. Um, not all of them will get transcribed into articles though. Um, yeah. just because everybody hates transcribing, including myself. And I'm, you know, I'm going to transcribe if I get like a, a sort of a, a interview that has to be transcribed. Like I, I talked to Tim, uh, Tim Elliott last Friday or last Saturday, um, no, it was the Friday right after the Wayans. And I think I, I had the first interview uh, with Elliot after he got, uh, after the fight was canceled. And so that's, that's sort of something where I wrote that up right away. I went down to the hotel lobby and transcribed it and it was up within two hours or whatever. And so that's sort of what I'll do right away. And sometimes if I'm being honest, some of them, like I, I plan to write up, you know, an interview from a couple of weeks ago with Fran, Frank Camacho, a really good interview. And then I sort of just, it sort of got lost in the shuffle. So some of my, some of my interviews get lost, lost in the shuffle, unfortunately, but uh, I try to write as many up as I can. We just passed about the half hour mark here. And this is uh, exactly what I wanted because I wanted to spend the last half hour sort of talking about UFC Winnipeg and all the great coverage you did. But before we talk about that, um, I think it's common knowledge. But if it isn't, it's something I haven't talked about in here. Uh, Bloody Elbow actually doesn't get accredited to UFC events, which is kind of weird if you think about it because they're an SB Nation property. And, uh, you know, they, they do really great traffic. Um, but 
as far as my understanding of, of why they aren't accredited, um, I know it's some of the stuff that's been written in the past. I know as far as, you know, revealing the Zufa financials and things of that nature. But I know there was also the thing at UFC. Uh, what was the Conor McGregor, uh, Jose Aldo card, the one in December? Um, that was the one where, um, yeah, it, it, I mean, there was the press conference in Toronto and there was that whole incident with the reporter whose name I'm not going to mention, but, uh, he, he, he basically said he was there for bloody elbow and he wasn't, he went in under another outlet and said he was from bloody elbow. And I was there seeing the play by play because I was there with Kareem and Kareem's getting all these messages from, from your boss saying what the hell's going on. Cause they thought it was him who was saying this, but it wasn't. And uh, basically what had happened was they did the press conference and, you know, it was just like regular routine questions. And it was, you know, when you're doing a press conference, it's kind of, it's not the same as like a media scrum or a one-on-one. It's very like, you, you know how they are. I mean, they're, they're more like, you're supposed to sort of, you know, keep with the fight. And I don't know where this reporter asked Aldo about, you know, some comments he made about being paid low and Dana White's right there. And of course he's not happy. And so it sort of just ensued from there. Not to say that wasn't a fair question, but the timing of it was weird. Uh, just sort of to say it. Cause I think it was like the second question at the presser and two, there was a point when, uh, you know, the, the, the reporter wasn't supposed to have the mic again and he took it and then he, you know, he stood up and yelled at Dana White, which you, you can't do and doesn't look good. So I'm sure that didn't help things. But yeah, as of today, uh, you know, doing this podcast, uh, December 21st, uh, Bloody Elbow does not have uh, credentials. But hey, that didn't stop you from getting coverage, uh, you know, last week at UFC Winnipeg. So um, I know we had talked a bit before you went to the event, but I guess, you know, w- was the strategy just to go to the hotel wait in the lobby like how did you find out even where the hotel was and and what was sort of the strategy going forward as far as finding the hotel well google maps definitely helps yeah <laughs> well no I mean, but i mean because i'm probably i'm sure there's different hotels but i guess because you know some oh, oh as far as finding out which one's the yeah. fighter hotel yeah um, I, I, I got that nick i know it's not hard to look up a hotel <laughs> yes. i don't know it was a weird yes. question weird yes. answer um found out which the which hotel the fighters were staying at i actually message Jared Cannonier on Facebook just a few weeks before. Um, it was like mid-November, and I know the card's away or a month away, so I said, do you want to do an interview during fight week? I know we're a month away or, you know, still, but just messaging you in advance so we don't you know, need to uh, sort of panic or whatever during fight week, and he agreed to it. And, I, and then I, you know, he just told me what the hotel was, so I had known uh, for a while. And then as far as the plan, I didn't I, – I mean, I didn't really go in with the plan. I sort of just go with the flow. Um, I would say – the majority of the interviews I did uh, during UFC Winnipeg Fight Week were pre-scheduled. Were, they were scheduled. I mean, a, a good handful of them were the, – the first few, I had a, you know, a, a day and time basically set in stone. A number of them were just, I'll meet you at the hotel tonight. Hit me up like closer to then and we'll sort of figure out a time. Because they're training, they're cutting weight, they're doing certain things. So – I, there was a lot of waiting around. Like I, I did a number of interviews. I think it was 14 to be exact, but there were a lot of, there was a lot of waiting around. Just, uh, um, I know one guy I was supposed to interview was actually Santiago Ponzinibbio and it was supposed to happen. I think like initially Wednesday night, then Thursday, then Friday. And then eventually, you know, it, it didn't happen, but there's a lot of waiting around, but it was definitely worth it. I mean, a lot of them were scheduled. Uh, the last few were sort of just me sitting there and seeing, Oh, there's Daniel Cormier about to go train. Let me go ask for an interview. And, for whatever reason, he agreed to it, and that's great. <laughs> Same thing happened with Dustin Poirier. Danny Roberts, I think, was the other one who uh, who I just saw standing around. Um, I think the the one of the bigger lessons I learned is that I should just after say like Thursday, I should just stop. Like I, I was trying to get like I talked to Danny Roberts on Friday night. Like it wasn't terrible because he had already you know rehydrated. The weigh-ins were over. And it was okay, but. Yeah, I, I don't know. In, in hindsight, maybe I shouldn't have still been looking for interviews the day before the card, but 
opinion was okay. Um, the other guy that just was walking around was actually Alessio DeCirico. I had done already three interviews that night. I had talked to Zach Cummings, James Cross, and Tim Elliott before his fight was canceled. And uh, I was literally about to leave, and I'm just standing there, and I see DeCirico in line at the fighter desk, or at, no, at the hotel desk. I think he was getting his card fixed for his room, and he, he didn't speak very good English, but I asked him to do an interview, and we went upstairs to the second floor and did it, and I left. But a lot of them, you know, I would say it was about half and half as far as just guys standing around and, sure. uh, and, and guys, me scheduling them ahead of time. So how long are you waiting around at the hotel? Because you had the scheduled interviews, but are you there for like, you know, how, like how, how many hours are you at the hotel? Just because I'm sure that you had scheduled interviews, but then you're also grabbing guys that you happen to see just walking around like you mentioned. Well, I, I figured it out ahead of time and because uh, I put out like a Facebook message a few days ago. Um, so I was there during fight week. I was there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday morning. And I think over those five days, I was there for about 20 hours. Whoa. And so, and all of that was during the evenings as well. I actually took the afternoon from school for Friday off because there was, and interestingly, there was a, there was a Fox Sports media lunch um at 1 p.m on friday and that was the only reason i took it off because i would be able to go talk to tyron woodley doing a media scrum and it, i figured okay it's probably worth it don't get that opportunity every day and it ended up being canceled and oh so, interesting and it, it wasn't you know that bad just because i ended up that you know if i hadn't taken the day off or the afternoon off i wouldn't have gotten that Elliot interview um when, when the fight was canceled and a couple others but that was a little frustrating just because the guy didn't actually, I, I hope I don't get in trouble for this, but the guy didn't actually uh, tell me it was canceled until like an hour after it was supposed to start. Okay, gotcha. And he was like, hope you, don't, hope you didn't show up. And like, yeah, I, I luckily yeah, I, didn't. I did. Yeah. L- luckily, luckily, I actually ran into Mike Bond like half an hour before I was going to leave. And I was like, hey, Mike, nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. Are you, you know, and, and somehow I mentioned the, the, the uh, media lunch and he said, oh, it was canceled. I'm like, oh, that, that's, that's good to hear. Um, good to know, but oh, uh, I knew that, yeah, and just walking yeah. by. Yeah. So that happened, bad. but uh, but yeah, I spent a lot of time. Uh, well, still, was, 14 uh, interviews, and I mean, the thing is, these were long interviews, too. I mean, I saw some of them that were like, you know, 15, 20 minutes, uh, you know, half an hour. Like, for me, when I was in Detroit, I was getting, you know, five, 10-minute interviews, just something quick, because I, I guess in my head, I'm always thinking, like, these guys, you know, they got stuff to do, they got places to be, I don't want to take up too much of their time, but that's good you were able to actually get them in their room. Like, I was, like, I don't know if you saw my interview with Dominic Reyes, it was, like, in the hotel yeah. lobby when people are walking by, but it's just because, like, you know, I want to, I want to grab them while I got them type thing. And, uh, you know, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. I still, I can't remember if I told you the story or not, but when I was in uh, New York for Bellator, I, I saw Lyoto Machida and I tried to get an interview with him and it, it didn't happen really? because he, he said he, he said he had to go or something. And, and he was there for about 10 minutes. So I was like, you probably could have done it, but, uh, and you know, sometimes things like that happen. So, uh, you got to sort of brace yourself, but no great work, Nick. I mean, seriously, like to go out there without credentials and to get 14 interviews. I mean, you did more interviews than some media members that were there actually covering the event. And, uh, you know, that's, that's definitely impressive. And I know a lot of people uh, sort of, t- sort of took notice of that. Um, is, uh, is, is, is that something you like doing? Like, you know, doing on, cause I, you know, uh, for, for some people it's, it's a lot of fun for other people, you know, it's, it, it's draining. Um, but you, you seem like you enjoyed doing that. Are you talking being on camera? Yeah, just being on camera, doing the interviews sort of on the fly and, and even doing the scheduled ones. Well, yeah, definitely interviews um, are, are what I like. I mean, you, you, you know, it's sort of your go-to as well. Um, for me, I, I sort of balance the writing and the, the broadcast stuff. But, um, but yeah, it's nice. I remember I talked to Zach Cummings, and he was my one of my longer interviews. I think it was about 16 or 17 minutes. And, and I remember just before it was starting or you were doing it, 
um, like I, I had like a couple questions for him. I'm thinking, hey, how am I going to make this longer than a three minute in- interview? And we ended up, you know, mentioning something and whatever we went, went off. And, and that's the thing. I mean, like I plan to talk to Cummings for like five minutes and it ended up being one of my longer interviews of the week. So it's always good. But yeah, broadcasting stuff is definitely what like if, if I had to choose between am I going to be a, a writer or a broadcaster? I'm going to be honest. I, I'm going with, with broadcasting. I like the on camera yeah. stuff. I like talking. And which is really odd because if you ever talk to my parents, I didn't start talking. I started talking very late. Like I, I could say like a couple words, blah, blah, you know, it was really, they, they thought I had like something was wrong with me. I did speech therapy, all of that. I still have a bit of a list, but you're working on that. But, uh, but yeah, I, that, that's sort of the biggest goal or one yeah. of my goals going forward is to, cause all of, all of the money I make, and we're going to be straight up with this, straight honest. All the money I make from Bloody Elbow is writing. I make no money off of my podcast. And I do a lot of podcasts. And MMA Circus, as you said, for the battle, Beyond Combat. And spend a lot of time with that. And I don't make any money at all uh, right. for my podcast. And so, that craft. It's an investment. You know, it's exactly. like a way of sort of putting things together. Right? And people don't realize that. People think, oh, I'm not getting paid. Let's give up. I've done the MMA Circus for... Uh, two and a half years or so and i've made like i've made a bit of money because i used to have sponsors and now i don't but uh but yeah so i that that's sort of my next goal is to how do i make a little bit of money for this because i've been doing the podcast long enough where it's sort of time i think to take it to the next level but well, you've touched on a couple of things, uh, you know, so far in, in this podcast, you know, you mentioned, you know, how you got the job of Bloody Elbow as far as, you know, reaching out. And this is something Hunter and I talked about last week. Like, if you want to get something, don't expect people to come, you know, your way and, you know, offer you stuff. You got to go out there and hustle and, and get those contacts. And uh, two is like you mentioned there, uh, you know, doing the, some of the free stuff. I mean, you, you got to you got to put some time in investing into things. I mean, there's so many, I mean, you know, pretty much all the events I've covered with the exception of a couple, um, you know, I've made no money. I've, I've just, you know, paid my own way. And, and it's yeah. just from doing all those you know, people ask why I do so much content. It's because it pays for a lot of that stuff. So for me, it's, it's an investment and it's paid off because you build these contacts, you get comfortable doing interviews. And, and I don't think people realize, and you talked about it a bit there, um, you know, when you're doing these interviews live, like it's not like you can stop and record and edit and do this. Like you're, you're live and on the fly. And I know, especially when you're doing like a media scrum, if someone asks one of the questions you're going to ask, you know, you got to think of backup. So you always have to sort of be on your toes. And that's one of the thrills I like about doing the interviews live and in person is that you have to think on your toes and you, you got to be on the ball as much as possible. And, and you don't want to, you know, say boring things because, you know, the fighter doesn't have that much time. So uh, it's, it's definitely there. There's like a fun challenge to it. And obviously the reward is, you know, you get to talk to these guys in person and it's, uh, it's, it's very cool. That, that's one of the hardest parts about doing in-person interviews is just remembering what you're going to say. What you, yeah. you, I, you know, I plan questions usually ahead of time. Sometimes for a lot of these, I actually didn't just because, I mean, it was sort of, hey, Dustin Poirier is right there. Let me go talk to him. But um, but in general, I, I plan questions and doing interviews over the phone is fine because I'm, I'm staring at a Word document the whole time, not reading, but just remembering what I'm going to touch on um, because I used to read word for word and that's why they sounded so terrible. Um, but uh, But that's one of the hardest parts. Just sitting there, you can't really look at questions. Actually, for a number, for a few in-person interviews, I remember when I talked to Ken Shamrock at the end of, end of October, because that one, like it, it was sort of all over the place in the sense that, Hey, I'm not just focusing on his fight coming up because there's no, you know, he doesn't have one. And it's sort of, Oh, let's talk about his podcast. Let's talk about this comic book he's doing. Let's talk about, do, are you coming back Bellator? And so it's sort of all over the place when I'm doing an interview like that, I actually brought to, to that one, my sister's music stand with a list of questions right in the background and it was okay. But when I talked to, say, Brad Gatona after his MCL fight, 
it, you know, there, there's only so many things you can ask. It's mostly just about the fight. So it, it's easy to remember some questions, but some, I, I, I need that list in the background. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of just and, you know, sometimes you just have sort of like fallback questions you can ask. I know like when I do uh, sometimes when you do these cards, like there, there's some undercard fighters that I just don't know. And, it, you know, you, you can't remember, the, you know, their last fight or, you know, this and that. So you have to just kind of spitball it a little bit and just try and not say stuff where it makes you sound like an idiot. So you have to uh, you have to kind of have some uh, some go to questions uh, in the bank as well. Um, I think I know the answer to this, but I, I'll ask it anyways. Um, did, you, did you see any UFC like, you know, PR people or anything like that? And if so, did they give you a hard time at all? Or I mean, maybe. Maybe they probably didn't even notice because I know for the Canada events, it would be just UFC Canada people, I believe, usually doing that, which is uh, Carolyn and then Neil Springer. Yeah, I didn't see uh, either Neil or Carolyn or uh, I know there's, there was another one. She might have been in the list of people that got fired a while back. Right. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Stephanie, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's it. Um, but yeah, I didn't see anybody. I mean, I honestly don't even know what they look like. like I mean, I, I do kind of, but I, yeah, in, I wouldn't be able to pick them out in, in a crowd. I mean, that's the thing. Working for a site that doesn't get credentials, I rarely, if ever, talk to the UFC PR people. And some yeah. journalists have, have like very good relationships with him, and that's fine. Like, I've never spoken. Like, I've sent him a couple of emails before he left the UFC, but I didn't get a response. Like, I've never had any communication with Schuller, and that's fine. But, but you, you did you did wish him a happy birthday. Do you remember I, I gave you a hard time about that? <laughs> you always do. I mean, some, some things we, we disagree on. I, I don't mind, you know, wishing guys happy birthday every now and then. It's giving a hard time. Yeah. But uh, another thing, though, you know, no, no, take no offense to this, but you always talk about how you shouldn't reach out to, to fighters over Twitter, like, you know, publicly. And I totally understand. But honestly, I don't have much of a problem with that because it's worked for me. And yeah. so it does, is it ideal? Is it, is it the best way to reach out to someone? No. But if it's your only way, I say take a stab at it. I think that's your last resort. We've talked about this before. You and I have. I don't know if I've talked about this on here, but yeah, I, I'm not a fan of people uh, publicly doing it. The, the worst for me is when someone will tag a fighter like in a public tweet they won't even do like you know the at tweet uh, they'll, they'll be like hey such and such would you like to do an interview with me because that all your followers can see that and then like and then like you tag the outlet and then it just puts pressure on the fighter and i yeah. think it's it's just it's, it's more of something that should be more of like a private conversation dms or facebook messenger are your, are your friend but i mean first and foremost the manager see if they have management go that route managers you know they're hit or miss i've had some you know great managers i've had some ones that um you know actually i'll mention this quickly i had a uh, i'm trying to get a uh, a prelim fighter that i've interviewed before twice and uh he now wants me to go through his management and uh it's been a struggle and, and I've interviewed this guy before, and, uh, and I don't get it. And meanwhile, I'm going to be getting the UFC champion next week for one of my interviews, and it just goes to show you the difference in, in management that you have to deal with. So, uh, just, I, I just an example of reaching out to someone via Twitter publicly. Like I did, I did that for Nordin Taleb, and yeah. I got an interview with him on Tuesday night, and I wouldn't have if I didn't. I don't know who his, who his manager is. I, you know, he doesn't have Facebook, and so it's sort of the last resort. Did I check if he had a manager before? Did I check Facebook before? Did I try and Twitter DM him until I, I couldn't because he doesn't follow me? Yeah, but then, then I realized, okay, I want to talk to him. So sort of do what you got to do. It's not the best, but if, if, if it's the only way, I, I, don't, I, I don't think you should not do it. 
I, I agree if it's your last resort. This is where we're going to agree on this because I've actually done it before. I mean, Patrick Cote, the whole reason I even ended up, you know, doing as many interviews as I did with him is one day I saw him tweeting about something and I said, hey, would you want to do an interview? And, uh, you know, this is, you know, and, and how you find out their management is, you know, you look at their Twitter page, usually they'll have it on there. If they don't, you know, go to the Facebook page, they might have it on there. They don't, whatever. So that's usually the way I like to go about it um, as far as doing that. But that that's just a personal thing. I've, I've been told that before from yeah. other people. So that's sort of a rule I keep in mind just because it, it doesn't look professional to, you know, say, hey, like I've seen people say, Hey, you know, uh, <laughs> Elias Theodoro would be great to get you on such and such show. And then they tag the show and then it's like, come on, like you can't do that. So, um, yeah, I've, uh, I've, I've seen that happen. Um, what's been your favorite interview uh, that you had for UFC Winnipeg? Was there one that sort of stood out for you? For UFC Winnipeg, that's in, hmm, I, there's 14 know, to choose from, I guess. Right? Yeah. I, it should be easier than I guess, but I mean, it's so hard when you do enough interviews, it's just so hard. Like there, when I, when I had only done say 30 interviews in total, you know, dating back to 2014, okay. I, I could probably choose a couple, but I mean, to think about like, I mean, you've done way more interviews than I have, but I've already done like 450 or so in total. And it's hard to pick one or two out of that many. Um, for Winnipeg, though, I mean, talking to DC was good. Um, he opened up a quite, a, you know, a little bit. It was, it was a good interview. Talking to Tim uh, after the fight canceled was nice um, because he spoke out against uh, his opponent in the UFC a little bit. That that was a good interview, just as far as uh, I guess not clickbait, but as far as just having a clicky headline and things like that. So I would probably go Tim Elliott and DC as, as the front uh, front runners. Zach Cummings actually was was a really good interview as well. Yeah, and uh, I actually spoke to Zach yesterday, and uh, I got Zach through Facebook. And uh, actually, well, actually, Zach added me to Facebook like ages ago, I'm guessing because I've interviewed a bunch of his teammates. But uh, great interview, great guy. I mean, I love when you do certain interviews and they're memorable and you know like, hey, if I interview this guy again, I'm going to get like a really good interview. Um, Julian Marquez is another guy yeah. like that. Like I got another phenomenal interview from him yesterday, and it's it's cool for me because like I interviewed Julian like last year when he was uh, competing for LFA. And uh, to see now that he has this fight and he's won all these extra fans it's like people get to see what i saw you know like a year or two you know a year ago when he was when he was fighting there so um that, that's sort of one of the, the fun parts of the journey uh we've got about nine minutes left um i wanted to ask and, and again i know you know you're 17 uh, you know you, but you've still been in this industry for you know a decent amount of time what's some some advice you'd give people maybe watching the show and i'm sure you get people messaging you you know every now and then asking for advice as well what are some some top tips on the nick baldwin uh, me, you know list of, of being a successful media member well, I think as for, you know, a lot of what I'm about to say isn't that different than what a lot of people would say. I mean, again, just be be okay with working for free. You you have to. The the best of the best have worked for free in MMA, and there's no way around it. If you, like, please let me know if you're a guy who has always been paid in MMA writing and MMA journalism because I don't think you exist. Uh, I, I just don't think it's possible. So be open to that. And honestly, uh, you know, a thing with getting interviews, be okay with reaching out. A lot of people are nervous about reaching out to a manager. Oh, he's, he's you know, and I don't mean to sound cocky or whatever, but try and look at these people as normal people. Don't be like, oh, he's a UFC champion. There's no way I can send him a message. Like, I, I can't send email his manager. He's way too big. Don't, don't let yourself sort of fall into that trap because if you think like that, you won't reach out and you won't get that interview. You you probably wouldn't anyways if we're being honest. If, if you're sort of uh, coming up and interviewing, trying to get you know a UFC champion or whatever, but try. I mean, there, it doesn't hurt to try. 
if we're you know don't See, be I'm actually I'm actually going to disagree with you there a little bit because I think if you're if you're starting out I think you want to you know sort of hone your skills a little bit I mean do you want you know I when you interviewed Rafael Los Anjos granted you know I, I think at that point you'd done enough interviews where you know you felt good about it but imagine someone starting out and they right out the gate get Rafael Los Anjos and they don't do very well I mean that that you know th- that that not only will that fighter remember that but you know you're gonna you know it's it's not. It's one thing to fail and not have a good interview with like an undercard fighter, but to have it with someone that's more notable, it, it, I don't know. I think that's something where you should kind of work up. I, I don't think it hurts. If you feel like you're ready to interview someone, I say go for it. But I think there is some, uh, you know, truth to, you know, getting those reps in as far as getting uh, interviews. And, you know, I think there's plenty of other fighters that, uh, you know, need the exposure. And uh, and I, I, I'm sort of on that school of thought of, you know, try and see who else is out there. Because, again, not everyone's getting interviewed, but that's just me. Yeah, it, I mean, it sort of goes two ways, sort of how I look at how you look at it. I mean, if you – I don't care how bad you are at interviewing. If you – if if Hoffield Los Angeles says, yes, I'm doing an interview with you, if you don't take it, you're you're an idiot. Of course, being, of course, yeah. So, I mean, take take what you can get. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with starting out small, you know, talking to guys that don't get much interviews and don't get much media and exposure. Definitely, I mean, starting out – Chances are you're going to have to talk to a lot of lower uh, lower level fighters first. I mean, that just seems seems to make sense. But, I mean, again, I've had the experience, like, the first probably 15 interviews I did were with UFC fighters. And so, I I mean, maybe I'm a different – having a different outlook just because I have that experience. But if I can get, you know, these UFC guys early on, why can't you? I mean, you have to be good at doing interviews. But, again, I was I good at doing interviews from day one? No, of course not. Did I talk to UFC level fighters? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, as I, you know, I, I think we sort of agree, sort of disagree. I mean, I, I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah. kind of my mentality too is just the fact that, you know, if, if Ariel Hawani interviews, uh, you know, someone on Monday and then you interview that same fighter the next day, I mean, chances are people are going to watch the Ariel interview. And just because he has that notoriety, he has that, you know, prestige, you know, people think of him as sort of the, the, the best guy in the game. I think if you want to interview someone like, you know, on like an off season, like if someone wanted to interview TJ Dillashaw right now, I don't think TJ is doing interviews because he's going to be a father. But if you wanted to interview him now, that would be a good time because no one's interviewing him, right? Because he's, you know, he's not, he's not fighting at the moment. So those are, those are things I think are good. But to try and compete in some ways, I think it's, you're going to get lost in the shuffle some ways. But I know we disagree on that, but that's, that's why I got you on here, Nick. I, I, if, if, you, if you agreed with me all the time, this would be a good show. <laughs> and that's the most frustrating thing. Not, nothing against Ariel. He, you know, he's great at interviewing and great at doing what he does. But that's the most frustrating thing. When you have an interview book for the same day Ariel talks to the guy. The guy like I know a couple MMA hours ago, he talked to Shevchenko and Ozdemir. Um, and I talked to both guys, both fighters, um, that evening. And it's like, oh, so these, these would have been big interviews, but eh, – Okay, uh, you know what? There's an exception to that interview there because you've known Volcan for a while. You've done a bunch of different interviews with him, so you have that rapport with him already. If that was the first time you interviewing Volcan, then I'd say like, "Hey, what are you doing?" But uh, but yeah. Well, no, just just as far as it, it, your people going to them because are people going to listen to me interviewing Shuchenko over Ariel? Probably not. So yeah, those would have been bigger if they happened say a week even after Ariel interviewed them. But whatever. Um, I wanted to ask you, I mean, I do have one more question, but maybe we'll get to that if we have time at the end. We've got about four minutes left. Um, what, what are your plans for post-secondary? I heard that you might be trying to go to Ryerson, which is in uh, Toronto for, for journalism. Is that accurate? Are my sources uh, correct? Yes, your sources are correct. Uh, the plan is to go to Ryerson. The application is half done, um, and I would be taking the exact path Mikey Hart did. Uh, he, he went to Ryerson for, for journalism, and that would be what I would be taking. So that's the plan uh, as long as I get in. 
Wow. So we have another media member here in Toronto because, uh, you know, Chamakar just, uh, you know, he's, he's going to be yes. moving here too from MMA Junkie. And uh, we lost Kareem because Kareem doesn't live here anymore. So it'll be good. We're, we're, you know, getting some more people in. You know, Alex Lee now is coming to our, you know, we do our media events every, every once in a while. So it'll, it'll be good to, to add you to the fold. So I, you know, I wish you luck with that. Uh, I know you. Ryerson's, for, for those who don't know who are watching this that live in the States, uh, Ryerson's one of the top journalism schools in Canada. And uh, I even applied there when I was in high school. I didn't get in, but uh, I still managed really? to, to make something yeah. of myself. Well, what did you apply for? I applied just for the journalism program, but my, I don't think my grades, I mean, I was, I was never good in school. I, I mean, I had, I, I, I want to say my grades were, I, I had like, you know, mid eighties, but I think even then it still wasn't like, you know, anything to write home about. So I went to Carleton instead and, uh, okay. you know, and I, I sort of, I got a communications degree, which actually ended up working out because uh, I realized very early on that I hated university as far as the classes. <laughs> and I went to college and college is where I got all my skills, including how to, you know, edit video and all that other stuff. So it kind of led me to where I am today. So uh, everyone's got their own path, Nick, but uh, I wish you luck because it is, Thank it you. is a very prestigious school. And uh, if you look at some of the people that have come from that school, uh, not including uh, Michael Hutchinson, uh, <laughs> you know, there's, uh, there, there's some pretty notable names there. So, and Mike's a TA now, so you might even be, uh, you know, you might be great in your papers. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. We'll, we'll see. But uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, two minutes left. Uh, what, what's, uh, what's, uh, what are some of the uh, biggest mistakes you see people making in this industry, in your opinion, uh, that, that maybe you want to say, hey, probably shouldn't be doing that? Huh. That, it, that's an Again, interesting I asked a tough one. question. I have to tell, you know, I got to ask you the tough questions. Mistakes don't stand out as much as I know. Like, I mean, you've asked this, I think, to most people you've had on and they think, think of things right away. But I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, people, I mean, I, I mean, again, I mean, I think a lot of the mistakes you would highlight would be trying to get those interviews or big interviews right away. And to me, that's not that big of a mistake, if at all. You know, go for it as I well, said. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll give you one here that we I think you and I have talked about this in the past. Uh, being a fanboy, um, you know, okay. there's one yeah. there's, there's one thing about covering the sport, but then there's another way of like you know kind of being fanboyish. Like, look, if you've interviewed a fighter for a couple of years and he wins a fight and you want to tag him and say, hey, you know, good job or whatever, that that's one thing. But to say like, you know, to tweet like I see people that do work in this industry that have told fighters that they quit in a fight. Like, come on, you can't do that stuff. Yeah, there, there's a lot of that. I mean, I don't care if you call yourself a journalist, but if you interview fighters on the regular, you cover the sport. And if you're also, you know, you know, uh, just, you know, all, all over them sort of, you know, complimenting them, clearly very biased. Just don't be biased. I see so many people that are biased and just don't be. I mean, yes, at the end of the day is we're all fans at the end of the day, but you got to separate that between if you're, yeah. if you're covering the sport and you want it to be taken seriously, you got to separate the fan part. And that includes taking photos with fighters. That's another one I see yeah. every now and then where someone does the fist pose and it's like, that's a kiss of death right there. Cause no, no outlet's going to take you seriously if you're, if you're doing that is, stuff. Is anybody entirely objective? Probably not. No, but... no. I mean, there's conflicts of interest everywhere, but there's certain degrees to it. And I think, you know, taking, taking photos. Cause you know, Ariel's taking photos with uh, fighters and, and people at event. There's a photo with Ariel and OJ Simpson that, that's been floating around. It's real, you know? So right. it's, and I know OJ's not MMA related, but it still don't think that's very uh, professional. But anyways, um, you know, th those are like little things. Again, I don't have all the answers, but these are things that I've sort of been told and sort of been, uh, you know, checking out uh, over uh, over the years. Uh, but Nick, just, we just be oh, fair. Sorry, just be fair. Just be fair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. You got to be objective. Uh, we are out of time here, Nick. Uh, this is a lot of fun. This actually flew by. Uh, you know, sometimes when you do this, I don't really write a lot of questions. I kind of just see where this goes. And this one flew right by. Uh, so I got to thank you for doing the show. Uh, just remind people uh, where they can find you on social media and anything you got coming up for Bloody Elbow, the MMA Circus, Beyond Combat, all that stuff. Take your time, man. The floor is yours. 
Awesome. Well, thanks again for having me. As you said, this flew by and uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, big fan of the show. I know it's new, but uh, but I've seen every episode and that that won't change, I don't think, going forward. Your listeners can find me on the Twitter at Nick Baldwin MMA. They can find, I actually just opened or started a new MMA-related Instagram account because if you followed me on Instagram before today, it was pictures of my cat and other things. Um, not not that there's anything wrong with pictures of, of cats, but uh, follow me on Instagram now at Nick Baldwin MMA as well. Uh, check out all of my MMA coverage over at bloodyelbow.com. My YouTube channel. Don't have enough subscribers to be able to have the unique uh, link yet, but uh, go type in the MMA Circus. All of my audio interviews and podcasts are there as well. And uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, winter break is coming up uh, starting tomorrow, so uh, hopefully we'll have a few articles out before Christmas as well. But yeah, thanks again. This was a lot of fun and uh, chat soon. Absolutely. Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Lynch on sports. I got a bunch of interviews I did yesterday that will be coming out uh, right here on fightful.com. And then of course I had a bunch come out today for uh, sports illustrated and fan sided uh, next week. We will be back. Um, I, I'm not taking any time off. Uh, well, I am going to take some time off, but uh, this podcast will not uh, take next week off. I've already got a guest lined up and booked and it's someone that Nick and I know really well. And I'll tell him after the show, I'm going to leave it as a little bit of a secret, but this guy is a secret weapon in the MMA industry. And I'm really excited to, to have him on uh, the show next week. So be sure to tune in for that especially if you're hanging out with the family need a quick break getting tired of you know grandpa's old stories maybe go hop in the other room and watch us live here on the mma industry podcast and uh, everyone happy holidays i'm not going to talk to you guys uh, before then so everyone have a great christmas hanukkah whatever it is you celebrate and uh, thanks for tuning in we really appreciate it any feedback hit me up and thanks everyone for watching this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.